Thanks for tuning in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast, your place for education and happenings for all things craft beverage. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner. I hope you obtained some value from our show because, as you know, far better it is to Beer Mighty Things. Cheers. Welcome in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast. It's what you listen to while you brew. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner. Today, we're welcoming back Corey Martin, the CEO at Spotlight Safety Incorporated. Corey, how we doing? Uh, doing pretty well. Glad you're not getting sick of me yet. <laughs> well, I'm not. I mean, I can't speak for the uh, for the listeners. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I guess you're <laughs> small, small sample size. <laughs> I like it. So this is cool. Um, yeah, if you guys uh, haven't caught episode one and two, that's episode 67 and 71. Episode three will be out there before this one, episode four, obviously. We've got some reporting we want to talk about. So uh, today we are talking about uh, facility selection as well as the tier two reporting requirements that are kind of approaching here in March. So Corey, tell us a little bit about what we got going on. Yeah, sure. So yeah, tier two uh, coming up, uh, the Deadline for reporting tier two annually is March 1st. So that's one of the things that, you know, is often just kind of in the calendar on a routine basis, but it applies to uh, groups that have uh, certain quantities of hazardous chemicals that, you know, are important under uh, the, the EPA. And so it's based on the Emergency Planning and Community Right to Know Act. So that's really where tier two reporting comes from. Um, so anytime you hear of these large facilities uh, that are storing large quantities of hazardous materials, um, you know, the community does have a right to know uh, that those hazardous materials are, you know, in place. Um, you know, obviously fertilizer plants and those types of things, you know, are certainly um, big examples of that, but, um, you know, there are certain thresholds that apply to breweries. The two most common tend to be sulfuric acid that are triggered by lead acid batteries. Um, the reporting requirement on that, I believe is 500 pounds. So it doesn't take too many, uh, large lead acid batteries for powered industrial trucks, forklifts, those types of things. And, you know, if you have a backup for, for top offs on the battery, um, then, you know, you can hit 500 pounds pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I see in breweries tends to be anhydrous ammonia for refrigeration systems. If you have any of those, um, you know, Walk-ins, systems glycol. in place, uh, glycol tends to be, uh, you know, not part of the, the tier two reporting. Okay. Uh, it's really the anhydrous ammonia cooling systems that tend to tend to trigger it. Obviously ice rinks are the, huh. the biggest example okay. of that, but, um, if your brewery does have, um, you know, an anhydrous ammonia system, that would be another reporting requirement. Um, so are you, because all the breweries out there with the ice skating rink attached to it, you know, just be aware. Well, yeah. <laughs> if you're in a natural climate and you just kind of fill it up with water, then that's one thing. But yeah. uh, if, if you allow the, the external temperatures to, to do the freezing for you, but yeah, if you do have an anhydrous ammonia system, then, uh, you know, more than likely you're going to have some sort of tier two reporting. Hmm. Man, I was dropping knowledge, man. All right, yeah. cool. Um, yeah, it was, mentioning you know we got a lot of these folks so i sent out the uh, osha 300 logs per our last conversation they're yep. like wait is this new like do i need this i'm like it's not new and yes you need it put it on your board yeah so uh yep. already creating value there See, Corey. look at you yeah trying to trying to get the awareness up and you know i think a lot of times it's just you know people want to be compliant but they don't know every nook and cranny of the the regulations and the details and um, you know, that's certainly been my experience with the, the brewing community is you tell them what to do and, and they're happy to do it. They just want to, um, you know, be compliant and make sure their employees are, you know, protected and doing well. But, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to sift through all of these really heavy regulatory, you know, documents. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of the community kind of stepping up and, and, and sharing what they're doing and, and why they're doing it and, and going yeah, from there. You know, they don't know what they don't know. So they just, they think they're compliant exactly. and they have no idea until the yeah. guy walks in from the ocean yeah. department and says. Right. And the last thing you want to do is get blindsided there. Cause you know, it, it, they're, they're pretty easy um, compliance items. Yeah. They're just, you know, something that, that needs to be on, on the calendar is, is something to do. So. Okay. And I guess, so the folks, when we say right to know, it's like, all right, I live, my home is next door to a facility and I, sure. it's important for me to know what the heck's in that building. Yeah. And, you know, cause obviously if there was an anhydrous ammonia leak, right. um, you know, people in the vicinity of that 
that building would, you know, potentially be at risk. Um, obviously, yeah. fire departments, you know, really need to know about certain hazards that are in the spaces that they might be responding mm-hmm. to. So, you know, if there's a leak in the facility, um, you know, that that's going to apply. Now, we're talking about threshold quantities here that specifically apply to tier two reporting requirements, but um, there are also other local fire department permits that might apply to breweries as well. So, you know, if there's a flammables permit that has, or a hazardous materials permit that, you know, doesn't require a large quantity. Sometimes I've seen, you know, local fire departments want to know about a five gallon container of a corrosive. Mm. So a lot of the cleaning products might trigger some sort of um, permitting with with the town. It might not be, you know, a huge permit. It might not be a big process. It might just be as simple as, Hey, you know, we have this on site. They say, okay, can we, you know, do a walkthrough of the space just to make sure that we can get around your facility. And if we, you know, we know where it is, they might ask us for a site map yeah. that tends to be pretty popular. Um, they might have, you know, some sort of paperwork that goes to the local emergency planning group. You know, there are a lot of different, uh, you know, ways that they can set it up, but the easiest way to find that information is to go onto the town fire department website and just look at the fee schedule and see if there's any permit for hazardous materials or um, flammables, um, compressed gases, sometimes cryogenic liquids, sometimes, Mm. So it really depends. It's very variable town to town as to what they're looking for um, and what they want to know about. But um, yeah, all, all good things just to have on your radar. And again, I've, I think I, I mentioned this maybe in episode one or two, but fire departments are not going to turn down an, an invite to a brewery <laughs> for a tour and, and just to, you know, build that relationship yeah. and say, yeah, you know, this this looks good. You know, if, if there were an issue here, we would be able to respond and, and, and take care of it. So um, and that's what you want. Hmm. Does the fire department ever reach out to the brewery and planning? Like they see it going down? It, it depends. It's usually the, the brewery or the employer um, that's really reaching out um, to the fire department. Um, but, you know, depending on what the, the town ordinances are or the requirements, um, they might, you know, proactively go out and, and visit and, and take a look. But um, the other reason to have a good relationship with the fire department is that in some cases they might be your rescue team for permit confined spaces. Hmm. And, you know, the preference obviously is to have somebody on site who can, you know, participate in those rescues um, because of timeliness and the potential for, for issues there. But um, there are a lot of cases that I've come across where um, it's deferred to the local fire department and they need to know how to respond and how to get there quickly if there is an is- issue in that case. Because, you know, if you're working in, you know, hazardous atmosphere and in a confined space, it can get can get dangerous pretty quickly. Interesting. So when you're getting like paperwork done and you're doing certificate of occupancy and all those different things, like, is it mentioned, Hey, call the fire department in there or. Not generally. They'll they'll obviously be, you know, interested in the life support systems, the fire alarms, the the sprinkler systems, um, you know, fire extinguishers, making sure that all of that is to code um, egress routes, you know, but you know, it, and as far as, you know, if they're going to proactively request a chemical inventory or, you know, reach out to make sure that the appropriate permitting is in place, um, that's more on the employer or the company to, to make sure that that's, you know, in okay. line. All right, cool. And you said site map. So just basically the map of, you know, entrance and, you know, the floor plan. Yeah, floor plan with, uh, oftentimes, if they're doing it as part of a hazardous materials review, they're just going to say, hey, you know, where's your chemical storage cabinet? You know, can you mark up where the compressed gases are? Can you mark up, you know, if if they're doing it for anhydrous ammonia, they would want to know where that tank is. Um, Just so that if they're they're working through and and moving through the space, they're not going to happen upon something that is going to surprise them and and change how they're, they're doing their work in there. I'd almost think that'd be good for a, you know, a safety meeting for the brewery, like to hand the team a blank map and say, label these things. Yep. You know, cause you know, you can put the first aid kit um, stations in there. You can put uh, the yep. eyewash and safety shower locations, fire extinguishers, spill kits, um, you know, basically anything that you know, SDS locations, really anything that com- is comprised by that safety program as a whole, um, just throw a site map in there, put it in the back of the emergency action plan, um, have it on file, have it posted, um, put some egress routes on there too, just so that people know, you know, how to get out of the building. Um, if there is an issue, secondary routes also, if one of them's blocked for right. some reason, 
Um, and then you're kind of covering all your bases because then you can provide that map as part of their, you know, new employee onboarding and, and safety training. And, um, you know, as you're doing the facility tour, you can reference that that map. And it just it goes a long way toward kind of a cohesive program and, and everyone's you know, on board with the knowledge that they need to have in that space. And, you know, every time you set up a new facility, you should kind of go through that process again. So um, I guess that's a pretty good segue into you know, facility selection and, and what to really consider. But, um, you know, each of these processes is important for each location that you have. Absolutely. I've seen breweries who are expanding, knock a building down, build it up, you know, build a new one or, you know, just move into a new building. And, you know, they end up doing some pollution testing and find out, there, hey, there's these underground tanks here we didn't know about. And now it's going to yep. cost, you know, $20,000 to uproot these. Um, and who the hell knows what's in the soil. So what are some things to look at, you know, when we're looking for the building, are we also looking at the surrounding area, surrounding buildings and keeping those things uh, in mind? Yeah. The more due diligence you can do before committing to the location, the better. Um, And, you know, to your point, underground tanks, um, you know, former waste storage, um, you know, chemical contamination, all that kind of stuff becomes, uh, the new property owner's issue, um, if it's not identified at the, you know, purchase process, uh, and then kind of remedied from there. So, you know, it, it really is important to kind of do those due diligence, due diligence assessments, just to make sure that you're not acquiring someone else's problem. Um, and, you know, I think oftentimes it's not out of anyone's negligence or, you know, they're not being malicious or anything. It's just, it got overlooked. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's an unfortunate situation when that happens because now you're dealing with additional costs, oh, yeah. um, zoning, um, various things related to what you can do with renovations in certain areas. It's like um, historical you know, even, you, right? Right. You know, it, a lot of these buildings, you know, tend to be older. They tend to be in areas of the town that, you know, haven't had vibrant uh, operations for a while as, as far as what, I've, what I'm typically seeing. And, you know, those types of things can lead to, you know, gaps in paper records and, and, you know, ownership records and all that kind of stuff that the more you can do to make sure you know what you're getting into, uh, you know, it can really save you in the long run. And, you know, it, having a really in-depth conversation with the, with the general contractor or, um, you know, whoever you're uh, working with uh, throughout the process, obviously most of these come with some pretty extensive build outs um, just to make them uh, brewery ready. But, um, you know, the realtors can provide some information. The the town clerks can often provide some. I feel like that's kind of where you're starting, right? You're starting with at the the township office saying, here, give me all the records for this this building, these buildings surrounding. Yep. What happened here over the last hundred years? Because yeah, you're rarely you know purchasing a new plot of land and then building a facility from scratch. It's just not something that's typically being done. So um, you know, a lot of these are old industrial sites or manufacturing uh, you know areas, foundries, which is cool. Which are pretty popular, which is great. You know, the historical element and character. Yeah, you know the the old brick buildings, the wood the wood beams. Like you can yep. get some really great locations. It's just a matter of you know making sure that you're not walking into something that you know is going to be a financial burden uh, that your brewery can't really handle yeah. in the in the initial in the initial phases. So. Um, yeah, I mean, all great questions to ask all things that should be on your radar. Um, if you're coming across a property that seems way cheaper than it should be, those are some clues, right? Um, and you know, it, it doesn't have to be a lengthy process, but going through all the steps and and asking questions and, and making sure that you're comfortable with, with the answers you're getting, um, you know, should be definitely part of the process. Yeah. Um, I saw like in Canada, it seems like a lot of petroleum, hydrocarbon, PHC, and just a lot of stuff in the soil, Um, human waste, potassium, phosphate, nitrogen, all that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, that's bad, you know, for employee health, but it's also potentially bad for product, you know, Mm -hmm. integrity as well. So, you know, if you have grain silos over those things that, you know, are leaching 
what, who knows what. I mean, that, those are important things to know yeah. before you get too far down the process. Hmm. So what happens? It's like, you know, hey, this is the place I want. Everything worked out. And then, you know, we're, we say, all right, we're going to go ahead with this. But I guess then there's a due diligence period after that, right? Yeah, so typically uh, in the negotiation part, you know, you'll have some sort of inspection. Um, you'll have an, the ability, a, a grace period to kind of back out if you find something um, and, you know, take advantage of those. Um, sight unseen is not what you want here. <laughs> um, it, again, it could be a killer historic uh, property, but, you know, if it can't be renovated or if it has some underlying issues um, that will prevent you from doing your brewing operations there in a safe manner or in a, in a way that you initially have in your business plan, then it's not the right location. So, um, you know, I think the, the more questions you can ask, the more answers you can get that you're confident in upfront and during that, that grace period, um, you know, certainly, certainly do that. Uh, especially if it's related to things that are going to be required for the operations. So if it doesn't currently have um, boiler systems that are going to require um, installation and inspection and, and capacity and, and space. If it doesn't have, you know, those tepid water systems for eyewashes and emergency showers and, and all of that, those are very expensive systems yeah. to install. And if those aren't on the initial uh, scope of, of what you're you know, willing to put in there, uh, that can be a challenge. So, you know, it's not just the brewing equipment that you need to put in there. It's also the, you know, the, the safety equipment and, and the other kind of support items that are kind of in addition to that. Hmm. Interesting. Are there any, you know, if I'm looking at a building, I know it's a factory of some sort and manufacturing plant of some sort, are there any certain, you know, more, riskier types of operations that were there versus others like all right so as a side manufacturer they do vinyl signs like all right, not too big of a deal but like pulp and paper manufacturing or cement and paper, and asphalt. tanneries foundries uh anything that could be a chemical manufacturer um anything that is associated with heavy metals heavy metals just stick around for forever um yeah i mean there are a lot of okay. different categories but um yeah, it really it really depends. Okay. So you have say say there are you know minerals and metals in the soil and whatever. I mean that stuff can be extracted, but it's probably a pain in the ass and very it's costly, right? Very expensive. Yeah. Okay. Um, because it's not only just the extraction process; it's also disposing of it correctly. And there are very few cheap avenues, if any. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, there's probably there's very few options, and right. the options that are available are costly right you know we can get into asbestos and you know those types of considerations as well um pcbs there's you know another one um just these environmental things that used to be common building uh, materials or you know associated with transformers or you know whatnot on the site um you know those are often found in these these older uh historical buildings and um you know, if they're not properly contained, then they can lead to some pretty costly remediation and, and removal uh, processes. Okay. How do we prevent further contamination? You know, we find a spot that has some, but we're kind of willing to deal with it. There's a potential that it could get worse, but we don't know. I mean, are there some steps to take there? Yeah, it really depends on the type of material. So, you know, if you're looking at asbestos tile on the floor, you know, oftentimes as long as that is well sealed and waxed and, you know, you're not disrupting those tiles, you're not looking to replace them, um, you know, the risk to employees and, and customers mm -hmm. in those contexts can be pretty low and you may not need to do a, a formal remediation project. Um, if you have pipe insulation that's fraying and has asbestos in it, that to me is a completely different uh, category because um, just isolating that out is going to be very difficult and you're probably looking at a formal remediation there. Um, you know, asbestos uh, ceiling tiles, there are a lot of different categories um, to where this could come up. But, you know, all you know, very high profile uh, in a lot of, you know, regulations, but also employee safety uh, considerations and their kind of 
happiness threshold. Right. If they know that there's a lot of asbestos around or they hear that there's a lot of asbestos around, they're going to start asking questions <laughs> and they're going to, you know, be a little bit, you know, less trusting <laughs> of, of their work environment than they may otherwise be. So you're going to get those commercials, right? On Tuesday afternoons, it's like, if you've been suffering from mesothelioma, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> All these things or many of these things are kind of, they're hidden, right? They're underground, you know, whether it's the pipes, right? So I have um, yep. two breweries in two different places that are old, right? One in Pittsburgh and one in Philadelphia right now, actually a Philadelphia distillery going through renovations, almost done. It's been about a year and a half. And then now all of a sudden they find out that there's issues with the water coming into the building or the pipe that would feed the sprinkler. Um, mm -hmm. The other place in Pittsburgh is, you know, now the gas line is a problem and needs to be replaced. And these things are, they pop up out of nowhere and they're 20, 30 grand. And you're like, now what, you know? Yep. Yeah. And it's not dissimilar to buying an old house and, and kind of opening up a wall because you wanted to do some renovation and then, okay, all right, now we have yeah. problems, right? If we had just left that wall sealed, okay, <laughs> you know, la, 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 we don't know. Um, but as you start opening up walls, you know, it, it, it does come up and it can lead to budget inflation. And, um, you know, now you're spending money on just core nut and bolt right. elements that don't contribute to your product. They don't, enhance the customer experience who's visiting right. the facility. It's just sunk cost yeah. that you have to invest um, because the facility. Uh, and you're too it. far along but, to move. And you're too far along. So yeah, so it's, it's really important to kind of have some sort of budgetary flexibility when you're doing these projects. Um, you know, don't maximize your renovation uh, to the point where you're using every last cent on you know, the, the new wood behind the bar yeah. and the, you know, all that kind right. of stuff, because, you know, you're going to need some of these, um, overflow expenses because right. they're going to come up. Um, and the more you can do to, to mitigate that early on. The My tip always to, you know, breweries and planning and, and whatnot is, you know, you're going for a loan and it's always easier to overstate it now, get approved for that amount. And if you need less, cool. But if you understate it, and have to go back for 60, 70, 120 grand later, it's a lot harder to do that. Mm -hmm. All right. So what else? When we're looking at our next facility or, you know, uh, we're expanding into our uh, second location here. Um, what are some other tips that, that, um, or some issues that you come across, but you know, tips to help us avoid those and things to look for. Yep. So other things to note um, would be things like where the boundary lines are. Um, so there are certain hazardous material storage areas that need to have offsets off of boundary lines. Okay. Um, so if your building is right next to the boundary line and there's another building next door, right next to the boundary line, you um, knock there, there you just knock be, it down right. There's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You just kind of lift theirs up and move it over, but um, no, but there might be some configuration questions or considerations about how you lay out the space. And, um, you know, you might not be able to put your tank of hazardous material on that side of the building. Yeah. You might have to put it internally or um, kind of on the other side. There are certain restrictions on whether or not you could put it internally. So it might have to be on the adjacent perimeter of the building. And, you know, if you are surrounded by the boundary line, well, then that facility might not work for you because you can't put your hazardous material tank anywhere. <laughs> right. And so that can be, that can be troubling. And that can also be, so it's not even just a building, but so say you want to put the tank out there, you have ample space, but you want to put a fence around it right now. That fence also has to flow with that boundary line, right? That fence have to be. Yeah. So, I mean, it really depends on what the, you know, depending on what the material is, you might have some security needs, um, yeah. you know, the boundary line for sure. Um, so, you know, there might be ad additional um, space offsets for, you know, how, how close can your parking lot be next to that tank? Right. 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 So it's, it's not just boundary line building. Um, you know, you might not be able to have customers be in that area or walk you know, near it. So there are all these kind of smaller things that will, 
um, add up to whether or not that space is going to work for you from a workflow standpoint. You certainly don't want to find that out after you've, you know, hired an architect to lay out the space and then, hey, <laughs> you know, yeah. all of this planning is is for naught because, you know, we need this tank within 20 feet of this piece of equipment. And now this tank needs to be on the other side of the building. Um, so, yeah. And what about when it comes to, you know, say we got the full, we got the land, the piece of land here and we have, mm -hmm. you know, we want to put our parking lot in. Sometimes I've run into where there, is, there needs to be a certain amount of, say, grass for water seepage or something like that, right? You can run out of yeah, so percentages those, sometimes. Those sound more like town ordinance type okay. uh, questions. More like residential? Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, it depends on the zoning code and, and what the, the town um, wants to see for some of those spaces, um, especially if it's like um, downtown reclamation type um, ordinances. Okay. Um, they might have green space, you know requirements okay. and um so yeah that that would be very very town to town specific and that's another reason just to kind of reach out to the town and say hey you know is there yeah. anything that um doesn't sound right about this um location working for this particular i guess a good thing you could do is call the township office and be like what questions don't people ask that right. bite right. them in the ass later right a year from now, what it, what are exactly. we going to have issues with? <laughs> yeah, let's let's just start with that question. Yeah, here's what yeah. we're looking for. Um, What's going to happen a year from now? It's going to piss us off and cost a lot of money. And honestly, as a safety professional, that is like the best question. Yeah. Is you know, I just want to know all the stuff that I could potentially do wrong in the next yeah. year, and I want to prepare for it. Help now. me avoid it. And help me avoid it. Um, you know, so I'm sure the, the town clerks or the town, the town officials are going to have the exact same reaction. Yeah. Like, thank you yeah. for being the one person who's doing this in advance rather than, you know, fighting. Like we get this call every week or, yeah. you know, we have to call these people every single year or, you know, on this topic right. because people don't do it. Because yep. there might be wastewater yeah. things, there might be municipal, there, you know, you might be trying to purchase a building that's right next to a conservation mm -hmm. area or, you know, a sensitive nature, something or other. And it might be because you like the fact that, you know, people could, you know, go for a hike right after they, you know, stop at your brewery. It, it really depends. Um, you know, those same things that could be drawing you to that location yep. could be some of the things that cause you problems. Absolutely. So, um you know, there are really, really great properties out there, um, but you need to make sure that they're going to work for you and not against you. I have you. two situations now. I have uh, a brewery that is, they're in New Jersey and they're like, all right, hey, we found another building for our second location. It's right on the beach. I'm like no insurance company wants to insure that, you know, or they're gonna, you're going to get a bunch of exclusions. So, you know, it might be awesome, but just be willing to know there there's, that also causes issues in other areas. Um, right. And you might be capped on production and, you know, a lot of things, you know, if that was supposed to be a facility that was going to be your expansion and be a higher productivity mm -hmm. production uh, facility, space yeah. than your, you know, your previous one. Well, now you might have issues because you're getting capped because of the location. Right. You chose. And I have a uh, brewery I work with in Nebraska and there's like you mentioned the hiking trails, right? So there's the, there's, there's like this pathway it goes through the woods. It's, you know, it's awesome trail and the ground was like sinking. So they want to build this like beautiful structure, this like bridge type deal to get over this, you know, pitfall and then get you into the, into the woods and on your way. And then there's like the landlord doesn't want to help out with it because it's not his land. It's owned by the township. So now we have to involve all these other people and then they have to follow all these different guidelines on what it can look like, how big it can be. It's like, Oh my God. You know what I mean? It's just, yep. again, you don't know what you don't know. And this was unexpected. You know, thought, Hey, we're just going to put this bridge here to make it safe for people to walk. And they're like, Nope, you have to follow these 135 rules. Right. Or else you can't do it. And not to mention the ground is sinking. So <laughs> I don't know. That... It's, it's more like, <laughs> it's not, as, it's not as bad as it sounds, but okay. It's not like half the facilities. No, no. This, and like... it's, it's, it's off, you know? <laughs> okay. It's not that bad. All right. What is the, <laughs> you know, they're, they're trying to make it nice for, you know, for people to walk through. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Walk. No, but I mean, anything that's going to contribute to your final vision for that space and that facility, ask those questions and the feasibility of everything from, you know, first change to final product 
before you commit and, and get too far in. Because if your vision relies on this one thing and then you don't get it, <laughs> you know, are you still going to be happy with the facility? Well, Corey, uh, craft beverage manufacturers are super creative and innovative. And six years down the road, they come up with this whole new idea that no one's ever seen before. And they want to do it at this property and now they can't, but they didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a limit to how much you can kind of, uh, you know, see into the future, but yeah, no, I, I think, I think the more you can understand about limitations and that might be the, the way to phrase it, right. Is what are the limitations that would prevent me from doing X, Y, and Z at this location? And, you know, it's not, you know, cause, cause then you're looking for awareness pieces that are, these are the exclusions, yeah. not, you know, can this be done? Can this be done? Can this be done? Can this be done? It's, what can't be done. Hey, you know, these are the three things that I'm going into this property knowing are just non-negotiable non-starters. Right. Um, and then proceed. I guess you that. could ask other business owners who walk around and say, you know, what's, what's it like to own a business here in this town or yeah. you know, in this building type on you know this yeah. soil i mean yeah and if you're not the first brewery in that location yeah. if you're not the first especially in the town um you know that can be really helpful um a lot of the state level um brewing guilds are very helpful about answering sure. questions about the challenges yeah. that they went through um with facility selection so if you're a brand new uh brewing group and you're looking for your first location you know reach out to someone who's yeah. done it <laughs> and say you know what are the unexpected things beyond this building has four walls and a roof? Um, do I need to know? And yeah. So you, you reach out to other manufacturers, but also maybe some like collision shops or mechanics, right? Cause they have to deal with a lot of the EHS stuff. So. Yeah. So I, you know, anytime you're looking, I mean, certainly for those types of industrial areas, um, there are almost always going to be newer buildings in those locations um, and knowing, you know, what happened at those buildings and when they started digging or yeah. when they started putting the new foundation in, did they find it? That oil spill in and, 1947. Right. You know, cause a lot of times they're doing soil sampling, they're doing, you know, other things um, at that time to make sure that they can dig in that right. area. So um, getting other people's um, input um, they may not be able to provide the exact records or, you know, officially disclose anything, but, um, you know, knowing that other groups proceeded in that general location in a fairly straightforward manner can be useful information. Okay. What else do we need to know? What else do you have anything there on top of mind? Yeah. So, you know, I think a couple of the things uh, that tend to happen um, when you're going from facility one to facility two uh, would be going from like a space in a previous building to the whole building and knowing the potential maintenance okay. uh, responsibilities for you for the whole building versus a part of the building, uh, you know, could be relevant. Because you may not have had that responsibility uh, at your first location, but now you do. Okay. Correct. Uh, a good example of this would be roof access. Mm. <laughs> So a lot of times there might be an emergency generator on the roof or some sort of HVAC, something that requires maintenance on a monthly basis. Yeah. Roof access, depending on how it's configured, can be a big regulatory issue um, if they don't have the appropriate you know, railings or fall protection systems or anything like that up there. Um, that would all potentially fall on you as the new occupant to ensure that your employees are going on that roof safely and um, in line with all the fall protection uh, standards and to do their normal routine. Yeah, and a lot of times you have the glycol trailers up there anyway. Yeah, so there's, I mean, there are a lot of pieces of equipment yeah. on the roof that could potentially, you know, require monthly maintenance or weekly checks, or it really depends on the, the systems. But um, yeah, roof access and railings and those types of fall protection systems are really important to know about um, because yeah, there are certain things you can do about exclusion zones and not getting too close to the edge, but you know, it, it really depends um, and on, on where your equipment's located, where the roof access uh, ladder is. Um, if the roof access ladder is even in compliance <laughs> itself, it's missing. Um, you know, and you know, so, so all those things, you know, if there are new catwalks or ladders or, you know, those types of things, um, you know, railings there, 
um, foot rails, you know, all the footboards, all those things, you know, from do you have the appropriate number of, or the, the appropriate rating for, you know, how much weight this, this railing can bear? Um, do you have the right um, number of rails? You know, is it the right height? Is it the right spacing? Is, you know, so there's all of these things that kind of go into, you know, what OSHA would be looking for. And that can vary by code, by zone? Um, th those are pretty okay. standard railing. Okay. The, the railing guidelines are pretty standard across the industry and, and code. So those are those are going to be more uh, standardized than than a lot of the other things we've been talking okay. about. What else you got? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I think a couple, you know, the, the, the shelving units for the new warehouse that you put in back of this new facility, you know, those need to be uh, rated properly. Uh, you need to have the appropriate aisle clearance. You know, if you're just having people walk through, if you have, you know, powered industrial trucks, those are going to be very different. Um, you know, mapping out the the general uh, paths for for movement and and making sure you don't have pedestrians and, and forklifts crossing paths and all, and all that stuff. So episode three, we talked just you know general housekeeping, right? Yep, yep. Um, where's the loading dock in relation to all of this? Because that's going to be you know a pretty big operations uh, challenge. You know, I, I know a lot of people will you know, put in a vacuum lifting system <laughs> at these new facilities now uh, to, you know, for ergonomics, that's great. Um, for other things that, you know, puts in some additional challenges related to now you're, you know, potentially suspending, you know, heavy pieces of equipment right. or, or materials above other systems. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's certainly something that you want to uh, look into and just general workflow, mapping out the facility, making sure you know what the productivity workflow looks like. Um, you know, I think most of the time groups do this really well. Um, and, you know, there's also the element of, you know, there might be tours, there might be some sort of viewing uh, from the the front of the house uh, into the, the back sure. manufacturing group. So there's always that aesthetic appeal. I want to see the tanks, right? I want to see where the bears Ma made. making sure the, the, the productivity and the safety is as important in that process as the aesthetic appeal. <laughs> Very important. Sure. Um, you know, don't compromise on certain things because you want something to be visible. So, you know, and then also knowing that depending on how you segregate those two spaces, uh, you might actually create the, the scenario where the front of the house is now under the same hazardous classification as the back of the house because you didn't properly segregate okay. it. So, you know, if you, if you don't have a clear segregation, um, there are questions about, okay, how are you protecting the people in this space um, from the hazards in the other space? And, um, you know, working through that, some people like the open concept feel, other times it, it can lead to additional challenges. So that makes sense. Um, these are all kind of things to, to work through. Some of the things I saw, you know, there's a lot of items to think about here. So, you know, with anything, you, know, you probably have a couple other partners in the business or at least people working with you. So kind of maybe spread some of these tasks out, you know, Everybody, oh, yeah. you know, because you can't do everything yourself, but everybody, you know, I always, when I was president of our alumni association here, I would say, you know, uh, nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. So let's break it up. Yep. We'll take tasks. We'll report back. We'll work together on them. Um, so yeah, break them up. Um, and also bring that information back and discuss it as a group as well. Don't put all of that responsibility on one person, right. um, you know, use use the collective to to collect the information and the data but then discuss it and say hey you know these are the potential holes um how are we going to work through that and then and then go from there another thing i see is you know we have location one and this was you know our flagship spot and now we're going to make this big production facility so at location one everybody worked together now we open up mm -hmm. location two and it's almost like all right you know you create this culture issue sometimes where we're the, we're the badass dudes in this building and, you know, you're not over here and you have this like big brother, little brother kind of situation versus having a cohesive team. Yep. Yeah. It's very important to have consistency in, in culture and in, in safety culture. Um, you know, I know some people don't like that term, but um, you know, it's, it's really important to have consistent uh, expectations and consistent just ways of doing 
what you're doing. <laughs> uh, you know, so, you know, working through certain processes, making sure that the SOPs are consistent across both groups, making sure the expectations are consistent across both groups, and then having someone in the organization who's responsible for monitoring that that's the right. case. If you have completely independent structures on how things are operating, you can't expect them to be consistent. So someone in the organization, it could be one of the co-owners yeah. or, you know, so someone who's responsible for operations, uh, just, you know, going to both sites and saying, you know, hey, these, these are the expectations. I'm going to monitor it. Um, and we're going to make sure that, you know, it doesn't have to be exactly the same, but it has to be, you know, something that is branded yeah. and, uh, you know, consistent with the company values. So I think that's all very important stuff for sure. Yeah. You want personalities that work together make sure you're putting the right people in the right seats. I mean, you have the book, good to great right behind you. Right. So, you know, in that oh, book, yeah. he talks about, you know, you have a bus, right. Which is your business and you have all these people on the bus, right. That's good. You have, we've hired good people. Are they in the right seats? Right. You know, be cognizant of that. Okay. One, you mentioned transportation in that. So I'm going to bring up <laughs> sure. another thing that can potentially happen uh, with uh, multiple facilities is you have transit between the two Absolutely. facilities. If that's company time, then you are bringing in transport that's not just commute to and from the facility. And now you have, you know, potential DOT items that you need to take into consideration. 26,000 pounds or what? So it, it depends on what you're what you're transporting. Right. Kegs are heavy. You know, it may not be it, yeah right, and it may not be the case that you know, hey, so and so, you know, over there just called me, and they're out of cleaning product X, and that is a DOT hazardous corrosive, and you can't just put that in the back of someone's truck and then yeah. transport it across without certain regulations. But Corey, Brett's got his pickup; it's ready to go. Here we go. So, you know, but it is it is something to consider because those things do come up. Um, and then heaven forbid, Brett has an accident on route and, you know, that materials in the back and leaking. And, you know, now Pollution. you have a hazmat spill, um, you know, in addition to the the accident and, and the, you know, so you can you can stack these things up pretty quickly um, when you have those types of considerations. So, you know, you may need an additional policy about, you know, what's required in uh, going from facility one to facility two. It, it may sound, uh, you know, a little bit over the top, but um, enough groups have run into these challenges uh, to where it's it's a thing. So, um, you know, it, it, it the, that's probably one of those things that gets overlooked the most, honestly, when you go from one facility to two. I overlooked it when, you know, kind of drawing up the, the document for this this conversation. Yeah. But, it, but it is an important thing um, if you're having people uh, travel on, on business yeah. time, you know, especially if they're in personal vehicles yeah. and, and could be potentially transporting things that are that are operational. So, yeah. Yeah, talk to your insurance agent about that stuff. There are some coverages that are specific uh, when you're driving vehicles that are either rented by the business or not owned by the business. So those personal autos, um, it's good to have. We put some templates together, and you know you can uh, you can also have some leases, right? I'm going to lease my car to the business, and there's those different things and MVR checks, right? Make sure uh, I had to exclude a driver from a policy this week. Um, the driver's license was suspended, and you know, we had to sign documents saying, hey, this person can't drive until their license is, you know, fully functional. Um, and they weren't exactly thrilled with that. They're like, he's not driving. I'm like, you're talking about a business here. A, a, you know, and this, this brewery is, you know, they're four or five million in revenue. You have one accident with an excluded driver. You killed somebody or a family of five in a car. You, you, you lost your business. So, mm -hmm. you know, again, we don't, we don't yeah, want to lead by fear, right? But just sure. should happen. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I think, be, and we're also in a, in a society that's fairly litigious and, you know, there are people out there who are looking for lawsuits. So, you know, it can be the case. I, I've seen policies written for, for these types of trans, transit policies where, you know, there's a, there's a requirement that employees remove all logos um, when they're yep. driving. So that if they if they have a fender bender and they get out of the car and you know X brewery yep. is right there in front of the person, yep. well now okay, it's not just somebody rear-ended me. It's you know this brewery uh, owes me a new car. This brewery um, has deeper pockets than this individual. Yep. Right. 
So, you know, those are all considerations as well. I got this call today. Uh, back in December, a woman slipped and fell in a parking lot. 13 businesses that surrounded that parking lot all got a letter and have to go to, you know, court. I don't, they probably won't end up showing up there, but you get pulled into stuff that mm -hmm. you didn't even know about and you weren't responsible for it. Just, it happens. Yep. So awesome, man. Well, that's, that's all good info. Um, I'm loving it. We're learning. We're, we're yeah. telling the people. Yep. Yeah. It was very cool with the OSHA 300 logs. So many people are like, wait, what, what am I supposed to do? So, yep. Hey, they're doing it now. They are. That's the important part. That's it. So value, 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 value. All right, man. Well, yep. what else? Anything else we can uh, tell the people? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that covers a, a pretty broad spectrum of, uh, you know, questions to ask and things to consider. And, you know, I think, you know, just checking all the boxes, going through and, and evaluating, you know, needs in, in certain areas and, and knowing what the facility is capable of that you're, that you're getting, yeah. um, knowing any restrictions, um, knowing that there's no zoning code issues that are going to come up, um, especially if you're expanding or getting beyond a certain production um, value, knowing when your employee count is going to reach certain thresholds for, for additional uh, oversight. Um, Cause that's another thing that happens when you get a new facility is you start hiring and, and fill in those roles. So um, all really exciting stuff, but there are, are certainly considerations that go into that. Uh, I'll also throw out, you know, if you are going to be leasing this property, you're going to get a lease. Share that lease yep. with an attorney. Share the lease with your insurance agent. I have, uh, you know, two clients right now that are expanding. Um, we want to make sure that the GC is insured who's going to be doing the work. Um, we're getting loans, right? Mm -hmm. You might need key man life insurance. Um, so just, and we can, you know, that's a whole different animal, whole different episode, more financial. Yep. But um, yep. And, you know, making sure you understand the responsibilities for when you leave that facility. Mm. So if you're not planning on occupying that facility for the length of your company <laughs> lifespan, uh, you know, know what you have to return the property to and have that the know, condition very you mean? clearly defined in the, in the lease. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you know, if they're expecting you to remove all equipment and all fixtures and improvements and, and prove that there's no residual, you know, materials on site and you have to prove that with sampling and, right. you know, expertise in environmental health and hmm. safety that can get very expensive on the back end. Hmm. So um, knowing the terms of, of what that's going to look like is also very important. Okay. Awesome, man. What about uh, what's in your fridge right now? My fridge? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, let's see. I have Shed Mountain okay. Ale. I'm going to shout out Shed, shed. Vermont Brewery. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of my, my go-to What right style now. of beer is that? It's on sale. It's a mountain ale. It's a brown. They call it a rugged brown ale. So, yeah, it's got a little bit more uh, percentage than most brown ales, which doesn't hurt. But, uh, <laughs> keep keep yeah, you warm during you know, this. They do a good job up nice. there. Yeah. Awesome. Um, what's the status on uh, So I Married a Scientist, your podcast? I've listened to, uh, yeah. Great question. Listened to a few episodes. Yeah, so we are hoping to get season two up and running and off mothballs uh, by <laughs> the end of the month. We'll see if we have actually, you recorded some and you're waiting to we post. Have some, funny, funny question. Uh, we have recorded probably five or six episodes related to COVID, and we have scrapped all of them because of mm. how much the science has changed and how we don't necessarily want to go on the record with certain things. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so we will likely be doing things related to immunity and antibody production and vaccination and, and all that. We got into that a little bit in season one, but it's kind of pretty timely right now. So, yeah. um, you know, all topics we'll probably touch on maybe in the context of COVID, maybe not. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're kind yeah. of feeling that out and seeing what feels right. Sweet. All right, man. One last question for you there, Corey. Sure. What is your favorite article of clothing that you own? Ooh. Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I love being outside, so I'd probably say hiking. My hiking boots are, are really strong. <laughs> um, they're really comfortable. I'm also a disc golfer, so they kind of function in that, especially with snow on the ground. So, um, yeah, a good, a good pair of waterproof hiking boots can go a long way. They also tend to fit in with the, uh, the, the brewing facilities. <laughs> exactly. Too, so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you have a picture of somebody rock climbing behind you. Is that you? 
so my wife actually painted that picture. Um, it's not me, um, but it was based on the fact that I used to be a very avid rock climber. Um, I am no longer the outdoor rock climbing aficionado. Uh, the risks after married life have gotten into there a little bit. <laughs> you know, you were being risky and now you're being safety. So, yeah, you know, I, although I would, I would argue that on the spectrum of risk tolerance, safety professionals tend to be on the higher risk tolerance end of the spectrum. I don't know what it is. You, they think they know how to remain safe at all times. No matter I mean, what. If, if you, if you told me <laughs> that, you know, five people were jumping out of an airplane doing skydiving, chances are there are probably a lot of safety professionals in that group. Hmm. That's uh, I've bungee jumped before. Um, and I will at some point skydive. I would like to. Yeah. No. Yeah. Cool, brother. All right, man. Well, looking forward to your podcast coming out. Um, and we'll uh, look forward to chatting again and again, continuing to educate everybody. I do have one additional episode, I think, uh, uh, listed on my thing here. We can, we can, we can go all day long about these different uh, items. So there's no shortage of things to consider. So that is true. All right, my friend. Well, Hey, enjoy your time. Enjoy your week. Stay safe. Stay warm. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Right. Can't wait for mid-March. What's the safest way to shovel my snow? Oh, get a good ergonomic friendly shovel. Is that the bent one? Uh, it depends. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of products out there that claim to be more ergonomic friendly, but lift lift with the legs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sink the butt, sink yeah, the butt, yeah, chest yeah, up. Yeah. Like you know, it's bump. all about form, not not taking not biting off more than you can chew. You know, yeah. little bites are better than trying to, you know, lift 40 pounds of wet snow in one go. That's a great way to solve a goal, right? You got a big goal. We call that the elephant. How do we, how do we uh, attack a big goal? How do we eat an elephant? Corey, that's one bite at a time. One bite at a time. With that. Absolutely. We'll say cheers and beer mighty things, my friend. Cheers. Awesome. Cheers. All right, that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. I hope you find this valuable. Please follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple. And while you're at Apple, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating. It helps us get noticed among the craft beverage community there. Thank you. Cheers and beer. Mighty things.